Welcome to the Embracing Brokenness podcast, where our goal is to engage with all of those willing to venture deeper into their transformational journey with Christ. Here's your host and co-founder of Embracing Brokenness Ministries, Steve Adams. Hey, Steph, thank you for that. Well, it's good to be with everybody again. Um, Today, we are going to tackle the subject of the journey of brokenness, surrender, and healing, but we're going to do it by me sharing part of what has happened in these last couple years to me personally. You know, I decided that um, COVID, along with you, was one of the worst things that ever happened to us on the planet, but reality is it just wasn't. And there were so many good things, positive things that came out of it. And God asked me in very clear terms, well, in my heart, in my mind, I really believe this was confirmed by my wife in prayer. And as we looked at it, he asked me to write a book. And he wanted me to write about an experience that I had, oh my gosh, 30 years ago. Now, if anybody's been following along, you know that during this period of time, I have been sharing a little bit of that journey. Uh, It centered around a business that I was involved in back then and a lot of compromises that I allowed to creep into my life. And uh, quite frankly, it was just bad decisions. I mean, we make a lot of bad decisions in our life, but sometimes there are a few that are worse than others. Well, this whole series of choices that I made around a business that I was involved in landed me in a very precarious situation. In fact, it landed me in prison. So God wanted me to be authentic about that experience because it did change the entire trajectory of my life. And so I thought what might be interesting for you as I share this, because there's so much that you can relate to. It's not just the choice of doing something in compromise in my business life. For me, it was a whole series of things around that, that, um, you know, I, I decided that I knew better than God how to run my own life. And, and it sidelined me a lot. Now you, you may be sitting in a very similar situation in your own life. doesn't mean you're facing jail time, but you could be facing some pretty, difficult circumstances in life based on choices you made or even choices that were made around you by people that cared about you or people that quite frankly didn't care about you that impacted your life in a significant way and so what happens around that our choices when these things happen is what helps define us in so many ways and so brokenness comes oftentimes out of a place where we need to surrender because because we didn't And so God allows our choices to have consequences, which they all do, but some he may hold off longer than others and bring about surrender, which when I define surrender, I mean really changing our perspective and turning our life over to our creator, to God that we know is a much better (laughs) at running our life than we are. But we have to suffer some consequences along the way. Well, what comes out of that? No out in my case it was the beginning of a healing journey that just peeled a thick layer of the onion away and exposed a lot of the things I believed about myself my identity how it got hijacked in my early years because I again have core longings that were met strictly by God at one point it was designed that way in the garden but we decide well we're going to meet those core longings in our own way and so what I did in this instance was 
I was pursuing wealth and power and prestige. And I was, I was young. I had a chance to start a business at 28 years old, which is, you know, for some people that aspire to that, which I did, that was significant. I was young, but I was also very green in my understanding of what it took to, to do something like that. But man, I jumped right in. And I, as someone who's a self-starter and highly motivated, uh, a lot of which just the way God made me, I made something of it along with two partners who didn't really believe what I believed and and therefore it led to some significant decisions they made that impacted me and I kept quiet about and because of that I faced the wrath of many not only individuals but the wrath of the law because the law said hey you just can't compromise you can't do that you can't pretend to be somebody you're not you can't entice people to do things as a result of a business deal that you're making that is not true, the basis of which is not true, which is exactly what we did. And, and so by the time indictments were handed down, I was uh, in my early 30s, uh, mid early mid-30s, you know, I faced, man, oh gosh, mail fraud, wire fraud, racketeering, I don't understand that entirely, but that in, in illegally inducing people to cross state lines, uh, money laundering, a ton of things that, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been on my bucket list, quite frankly as someone who pursued life in Christ at a very young age and then compromised in the meantime. So what I want to do today is I want to read for you um, just one chapter from this book that I wrote, and, and I entitled it 90 Days on the Inside, A Short Timer's Journey of Brokenness, Surrender, and Healing. So follow along, and I'd love to get your feedback, but along the way, I may comment, which is different than what you might read in the books at some point when it gets released. But I want to share this journey from an early space, and I hope it's an encouragement to you along your way that you know we make mistakes, but God redeems those years, the years the locusts have eaten, and in so many ways it changes the entire narrative of the rest of our life, as it did for me. Chapter 1, A View from the Outside. You can observe a lot by just watching Yogi Berra. It was November 21st, 1995, and I found myself in the precarious position of standing in front of a federal judge at the United States District Court in Philadelphia, awaiting sentencing on mail fraud, aiding and abetting, fraudulently inducing persons to travel in interstate commerce and money laundering, criminal forfeiture, whatever that is. All charges stemming from a business partnership gone bad that had begun 11 years earlier. The ostrich defense really isn't a defense, by the way. Willful blindness won't keep you out of trouble. How the heck did I get here? I was born into a family that taught me to follow Jesus from a very early age. I certainly knew the basics between right and wrong, both from personal experience and the teachings of the Bible. That knowledge guaranteed nothing. What I faced was the reality that we live in a world at war. The old adage made famous by Michael Corleone in The Godfather Part Two: keep your friends close and your enemies closer, isn't such a good idea when it comes to spiritual beings. Facing the real possibility of jail time, I mustered all the help I could get from the church, friends, and family to vouch for my character because I cooperated with authorities when the indictments were handed down, I had hope. Some may call that ratting. I call it common sense. 
But still, that nagging question persisted, how the heck did I get here? My early years were full of fun and excitement. Like most kids experience, I didn't understand how the wounds unknowingly inflicted by imperfect parents and my individual choices would dramatically shape my view of who I am and who God is. Nor did I understand how the decision that I would make in my effort to cover those wounds would yield all sorts of dysfunctional behaviors, landing me in this tenuous position. Facing the effects of my own culpability that I rejected as part of my first defense was the hardest of all encounters, an encounter with my own dysfunctional behavior. That's code for sin, by the way. Not only would I provide phony references for prospective associates, but also I'd tell their stories during the sales process. The stories of chronicling monumental financial success generated as part of our business relationship. I hid the truth of the fraud from other employees in an effort to keep the scheme under wraps. I lied about my own level of income to get loans for millions of dollars to further my even legitimate real estate purchase. It was illegal posing at best, a felony at worst, and I paid the price. Not nearly a fair price, but one buffered by the grace of God. The restitution paid was refundable to associates by the courts as recompense for my sin. The greatest contributions were in the millions by the money man behind it, one of my other partners. His liabilities were much greater than mine, hard to get blood out of a rock, I had none, broke at best, although I had no direct contact with those receiving restitution other than Dick and Emily Sayers. It was somewhat gratifying to know that they were made whole, but not all of them. I thought about what might occur in the way of retaliation, but the faded over time, especially since I entirely left the area shortly after release. Compromising with cash, lots of it. I made cash deposits into my bank account of less than $10,000 taken from a brown paper bag in my briefcase more times than I can count, making sure that the IRS was none the wiser as I took many ill-gotten gains from friends and acquaintances and laundered it into something more palatable and profitable, like real estate. Guess that's where the laundering comes in. Well, not really, because no one ever found out about those deposits. Banks were required to report to the feds any cash deposits above 10000 largely because of the drug trade that was so prevalent at the time. I hope there's a statute of limitations or I may be getting a phone call. It was the mid to late 80s, and there were plenty of opportunities to make tons of money in real estate and a whole lot of other things. Real estate just happened to be my drug of choice, the thing that looked pretty, seductive, and pleasurable, but ended up being my ultimate demise. It was about my need for significance played out in a very public way. After all, who doesn't admire a wealthy young man with a lot of flashy toys, including big waterfront homes and steady cash flow from many sources, some legit, some not so legitimate, The guy who picked up the tab on most occasions, including dinners at a well-known establishment nearby, Lebec Finn, America's top French restaurant during that time, founded and owned by George Perrier. Cool, huh? See how I worked that in? So you'd be more impressed by my dysfunctional behavior. I somehow got distracted from the truth of God's word. Don't keep hoarding for yourself earthly treasures. 
that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. Matthew 6, 19-21, TPT. As a seemingly brilliant up-and-comer, I had much of what the world would have defined as the fruits of success. But as Christian, more accurately described as the fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one where Satan tempted Eve as Adam passively stood by and then also took a bite. I, too, was hiding behind a fig leaf, just like they did when they got caught up in the lie. The lie that somehow being more like God was a good thing, knowing what he knew and more, placing myself on the throne of my own life and pursuing the worldly ideal of what goodness there is in accumulating things. Power, prestige, and influence seemed like the antidote to my restlessness. No, not so. As a Christ follower, yielding to the temptation to get my own needs met in my own way led to a host of failures ones that God allowed as a way of disciplining me and bringing me back to the path of his purposes. Here's how bad it got. One cash investor in our business owned a bar and nightclub that fronted one of the back streets near Broad and Locust in Philly. Flush with cash, he was looking for a way to use it to further invest in something that would bring an even greater return. I would drive up in my 85 Lincoln Town Car, signature series, of course, and wait for the bouncer to hand me a bag of cash. Then off I went. I did, so, I did this on a regular basis and made deposits, much the same way as described earlier. There was a sort of adrenaline rush to it. It was like I was playing mobster at a time when the Godfather series was at its height of popularity. What a guido I was. Oh boy. I'm German and English with blue eyes, so no chance. No Italian in me, but I played the part with all the swag I could muster. So what's my point? My identity was wrapped up in this make-believe world. This world that had no value to the kingdom of God. In fact, it was working against everything God had created in me and ultimately the purpose for which I was created. But I believed my own press. I so wanted to prove to myself and everybody else who was watching that I had arrived and was a significant part of this worldly way. That is the ultimate definition of brokenness. At least it was for me. How that would play out over the coming years would have devastating consequences for me and those around me. And rightfully so, at least for me, I deserve the consequences of what was sown deeply into my identity as I acted on the temptation that came with every dollar that passed through my hands. My brokenness had to be exposed and my fig leaf torn to pieces. I was on a journey that would take many twists and turns, but ultimately lead to healing in the very roots of my life. The roots that had been broken in my relationship with Christ and my true self that God had created in me. Not the false self I had created as a mask to hide all the pain that I had observed and absorbed over the previous years. Much was ahead. Compromising with cash would not be the defining action for my life. God had much more in store. Thank you, Jesus. Words of grace and truth. 
Having the opportunity to hear from one of our associates was a significant occurrence for me during this process. Dick and Emily Sayers wrote a letter to me a few weeks before my first court appearance. Grace mixed with truth is a Jesus model, offering anyone that would hear his voice and experience his love a chance to repent and turn from the sin that sidelined them. Dick and Emily provided just that. No punches pulled, but grace in offering that gave me hope for my brighter days ahead. Forgiveness is a powerful healing balm. I received that healing and was able to converse or correspond a few times over the years with the family to demonstrate the grace and love that God showed me. It strengthened our faith through the process. I had failed, but I still had faith, and there was grace. That grace was a stark contrast from what I had become a criminal under the scrutiny of the court system. All of us were made for something much better than what our failures expose. My sorry existence as a criminal was a sore substitute for who I could have been. Walking and talking with God in the Garden of Eden didn't last nearly long enough. We bit that darn fruit and have been trying to make our own paradise ever since. As one of the best posers I know, I looked good at my Lincoln Town Card and my glass-walled office on the 18th floor of a downtown Philly high-rise, gazing into the distance on a clear day to see the Delaware Memorial Bridge. It was the idyllic viewpoint for contemplating the waterway where I would make my annual boat run to dock for the summer, crossing the C&D Canal into the Elk River and the Chesapeake Bay. But that sure wasn't going to fill the God spot that in my heart left from deciding I knew better than him how to run my life. How I decided to meet my own needs with power, money, and prestige through compromise and law-breaking is a mystery, but I did. Guess it didn't seem all that bad at the time, but I wouldn't be standing in front of a judge awaiting sentencing if that notion were true. I believed my worth was measured by accumulating things at any cost. Another old phrase attributed to Malcolm Forbes, he who dies with the most toys wins. Ugh, just ain't so. Tell that to this 28-year-old would-be entrepreneur looking to make his mark on the world. Fear of missing out. Life is like a short-term mission trip. What does it feel like to know that we only get a limited time on this earth and that making the most of it is paramount? Satan has no intention of allowing us to be a difference maker for God's kingdom here on earth. If he can influence, influence us into bad behavior, otherwise known as sin, and get us sidetracked, he wins. In his world, we just become one more neutralized Christian I find myself in a futile attempt to manage my sin instead of finding the underlying cause of my bad behavior. A serpent started by lying to Adam and Eve in the garden and he continues to lie to us every day about who we are and what we need from God to thrive in this life. Thinking God is holding out on us, we choose between the fear of missing out, FOMO, and his love that says, I got this. Oswald Chambers put it like this, most of us are not consistently spiritually because we are more concerned about being consistent externally. Let me read that again. Most of us are not consistent spiritually because we are more concerned about being consistent externally. Who do you think keeps whispering in our ear that self-gratification should be our primary concern? That the externals are what matter most. 
The only consistency in my life was my desire to make it work on my own, with all the bells and whistles I could accumulate. It all looks great on the outside, but with no depth on the inside. Chasing these outcomes is not all that helpful in our pursuit of happiness, although certainly consistent with the world's view of success. All that did was land me in the pokey. My people. The most difficult part of sin is its impact on others. In this case, my family. My daughter recounts those days as an impressionable 11-year-old girl. Here's what she wrote. Quote, My memories from when my dad was in prison are mixed. I have very vivid memories of some events, while I have few memories of actually visiting him while he was there. I do remember one visit on Christmas Eve, where we sat in a room with tables, chairs, and other families while we played Jumanji, a gift that my grandparents had just given me for Christmas. I remember visiting him and feeling very scared. Scared to see the maximum security prison across the yard, where chain-link fences and barbed wire served as a moat, quote-unquote, for the massive facility, and scared of the other men within the prison camp where my dad was staying. I understood that they committed lesser crimes, but they were still intimidating, and I was afraid of what they could potentially do to harm me. I remember my dad had grown a beard, something I had never seen him do before, and I remember he had put on some muscle, a product of a hobby he had developed while there, thanks to a fellow inmate friend who enjoyed weight training. I missed my dad, but didn't want to go see him while he was in prison because of all my fears. Looking back, I don't think my mom took me to visit him that often because of it. I remember being very sad while he was gone, probably depressed even. I had just learned about the Beatles through watching the anthology that had aired recently before my dad left. I remember throwing myself into learning everything I could about them, most likely a distraction from reality. I remember I would talk about them almost all the time, and my teachers at school would become upset since they were a controversial band to discuss at a Christian elementary school. Someone eventually put two and two together that it was an outlet for me during this time. So I was politely asked to try to talk about other things too when socializing with my fellow fifth graders. I also remember receiving a large bag of peanut M&Ms as a gift from someone from our church. To this day, I still don't know who gave them to me. Someone who presumably had heard about our situation, knew that there would not be many Christmas gifts and felt badly for us. The gift felt strange to receive on the one hand. I was thankful. On the other hand, I felt sad, knowing that we were really hitting hard times if my Christmas gift was a bag of candy. And I was okay not receiving any other gifts, as putting food on the table was more important. My dad's imprisonment helped bring my parents back together. They were separated when I was in third grade, 1993. Then, when everything happened in 1995, it was as if it drew them closer together. That was a positive thing that came from all of this. We were a family again, unquote. As I wipe away the tears, I remember how hard that was. It wasn't easy recalling a time when nothing else seemed to matter but my own self-interest. I was completely oblivious to how my actions impacted others around me. Getting my needs met was number one. Not good. What turned out to be very good was reconciliation in a marriage that was near its end date. It provided us an opportunity for a fresh start.
although it ended 20 years later for reasons that are still difficult to fathom, our family was able to be one again and venture on this journey called life. Our daughter was able to grow up in a relatively stable environment with plenty of love to go around. When asking my then wife about any recollection she may have, she told me this, quote, it was a very difficult time. There was a huge weight on my shoulders as we awaited the outcome of nearly five years of uncertainty. It was hard for me to see you go through all the court proceedings, but a huge relief when you were sentenced to only 90 days. It could have been a lot worse. I took things very slowly back then, just looked to work for a steady paycheck and health insurance while you were away. I looked at life differently with an appreciation for what we had in our family and a desire to come back together and make it work." Unquote. Thank God for his intervention in a near disaster. Financial ruin is one thing, but a family in shambles is another. It was certainly a real test of faith even though my choice landed me in the most fearful situation of my life. I found a letter from my mother that she left for me the morning of sentencing. Along with many character witnesses, I was slated to speak in front of the judge prior to his decision. She lived a long and full 100-year life, and I so appreciate her faithful optimism in the face of so much fear and spiritual opposition. Quote, Steve, I'm not going to attempt to say anything to you this morning because I know I will not be able to hold back the tears. I want you to know I'll be thinking of you every minute and praying every second as I have done so many times. You have been faithful and the Lord has given you the ability through his strength to handle your trials and circumstances in an honorable way. When it comes time for you to speak, he will give you the right words to say. Many prayers are being prayed on your behalf today. Mine will be at the top. I know the Lord God is listening and will hear. Prayer can move mountains if we believe, and I believe. I love you, Mom." Unquote. What struck me most was her commitment to place God above all else. She's been a prayer warrior for as long as I can remember. Jesus reminded me of this in his word. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be aware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and not the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will begin and given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Matthew 10, 16-20 As a result of her prayers, God gave me courage to not worry about what to say or how to say it in my subsequent trial appearances and sentencing. Looking back, there's so much more to the story. I decided to pull out my personal journals and chronicle some of my thoughts after sentencing and before surrendering to the U.S. Marshal's office on December 1st, 1995. So here's one of those entries from November 21st of 1995. Thank you, Lord. Finally and miraculously, I've been sentenced by Judge Fulham to 90 days in a federal prison to be named. I report in 10 days, December 1st. I can't help but have been a witness to one of the most amazing demonstrations of God's grace and mercy. 
Anyone associated with it must have felt it the same. So much emotion existed, but such unparalleled delight afterwards. The friends that the Lord gave me are so special. The judge's comments led me to believe the Lord softened his heart through faithful witnesses, my friends. Jack, my attorney, was very pleased, and I hope this touched his life in a special way. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Grant me the continuing ability to handle what's to come and the wisdom to plan life's step, the next steps for family and career. Please provide a way to pay this restitution required, $30,000. Lord, help me in my finances. Help me to meet my obligations and have the common sense to know how to prioritize them. I will not leave you out of this again. I feel like an incredible weight has been lifted. Help me, Lord, to deal with the enemy attacks. Give me clear insight into vital decisions. Help me to properly thank those who are there for me. Thank you, Jesus. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Wow, <clears throat> there's a lot there to process. Without proper perspective, it's difficult to understand the depth of the miracle I experienced. I remember clearly standing in front of the judge, knees knocking and palms sweating, with a confidence that no matter the outcome, I was going to be all right. Never could I imagine the level of leniency given by a judge known as the hangman. The word on the street was that he was fair, but tough. You got what you had coming to. I expected at least two and a half years. That's what my attorney prepped me for. I guess that's what they're supposed to do, predict the worst and hope for the best. This one even shocked me and him. Now it was on to somewhere. I only knew the first stop journaled here. And here's what I wrote, November 30th of 1995. The day before, I don't know where I'll be yet. I have no report to the U.S. Marshal's office. That's where I need to be tomorrow at 2 p.m. I will go to Fairton, New Jersey to be held for a week until the Board of Prisons decides where to send me. I'll be completely alone with nothing but the clothes on my back. Thank God he's with me. It was a great time of fellowship yesterday, the night before as friends came over, then on Wednesday at church as the pastoral staff and others gathered around to pray. An unforgettable blessing from God. Thank you, Lord. What lies ahead is in your hands. What was ahead? A lot more than I thought. Horrendous good, indifferent, and everything in heaven and in between. (laughs) But I do know this. He'd be there with me through it all. As the story unfolded, it became more and more obvious that God had so much for me to experience. His love, the love of others, and the unknown world beyond that I needed to experience to understand wholeness, oneness, and a sense of who God really is and who he created me to be. Well, there you have it. Chapter one from 90 Days on the Inside, a short timer's journey of brokenness, surrender, and healing. I go on on the next page to outline a few questions for personal contemplation and conversation, even in a group study. Let me read them for you right now. And maybe this is something you could use uh, to to dig deeper into, into your thoughts on this matter in your own life. Number one, can you think of a time when you made one of those monumental life decisions that didn't turn out the way you had hoped? Or worse yet, you knew it was the wrong one as soon as you made it. Well, maybe you want to pause and think about that for a second.
Number two, regarding that decision, how did it impact others in your circle of influence, including family and friends? Well, that's a great question because in my case, as you heard, huge, huge impact. Number three, if you had to do it over again, would you have done it differently? Well, that sounds like an obvious question. I could say in my case, because of what it yielded in my life, I'm not sure I would have. I would have done some things differently in my choices, but I was glad that of the result that changed everything for me. And lastly, number four, what life lesson did you learn that made the experience worth it all? So as you think about these questions in your own personal circumstances in life, give God an opportunity to share his heart with you through it. If you want to know a little bit more about this journey of mine, you can visit a landing page that I set up for this particular book called 90daysinside.com. That's 90daysinside.com. Check it out and keep your eyes peeled. I'm not sure exactly when this will hit the presses because I am now interviewing with agents and going through a process and, you know, I may end up self-publishing. We'll see what God has for me in this, but uh, I am totally yielded to the process. And I want to encourage you today, just uh, step out, take some risks for Jesus, because when you do, you'll see amazing things happen in your life. Well, join me again on our next podcast where a special guest has been invited to join us. His name is J.R. Woodgates. He wrote a book called Daily Light on the Prisoner's Path. It's actually a devotional, which is resident in probably most prisons around this country and a lot of inmate cells. It has been a great encouragement to me to see what is available to help others who are struggling uh, during some level of incarceration for all types of things. So he's going to be my guest on next podcast and a really interesting guy. I I loved getting to know him and meet him through my research for my own project and uh, I think you'll you'll get a lot from hearing from JR. He was the voice of America for 25 plus years and then went on and has his own story of brokenness and healing and surrender. So join me next time. Love to have you. This was another episode of the Embracing Brokenness podcast. For more information on Embracing Brokenness Ministries or to subscribe to our blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or engage with us on social media, please visit our website at embracingbrokenness.org. Thanks for joining us.